Welcome to Sovereign Grace Church. If you're a guest and this is your first time, my name is Aaron and I serve as one of the elders here on behalf of the entire church. I just want to thank you for joining us this morning. Um, And Lord willing, we get a chance to meet you maybe after the meeting today. And so again, thank you for coming. Now, before we jump into our text, which is going to be in Timothy, 1 Timothy this morning, I do have a couple of announcements. Uh, The first one has to do with our children's ministry and the best Joy Page to come up and share a little bit of her perspective uh, on serving in children's ministry, teaching in children's ministry. She's got a little bit of experience, right? Okay. Good morning, church. I have a confession to make. Um, I was very reluctant this time of year last year, to sign up for children's ministry, not because I didn't want to spend time with our precious children, but because I didn't want to miss the message. Um, And I signed up anyway because there was a need and I knew I could help and, but I just, I did it very reluctantly. And so I'm here to share with you now just the testimony of how God met me in a powerful way when I stepped into that role. So instead of um, being burdened by missing the time in the service, he blessed me with the time with the children. That goes without saying. But at home, listening to the message later in the week, it actually had a greater impact. Sorry. (laughs) It had a greater impact than many of the times when I'm here in the service. And here's why. In the relative quiet of my home, I could listen to the message. I could pause the message and meditate on a verse that was given or jot down more notes because I can't always keep up with Phil and Aaron during the service, but I can at home because I can pause them. Um, And then I could also rewind and have the opportunity to get clarification or to, to hear something again that I really needed. Like I'd hear this and I'd go, whoa, I need to hear that again. And so I could rewind. And so when that happened, it was, it was a bit of a, an epiphany. Um, I was so ministered by having that opportunity to hear the message at home um, where I could do those things. Um, it just came to me that that was God's special gift, his way of meeting me because I was um, serving in children's ministry. So if any of you are like me and you are hesitant to sign up to serve in children's ministry because you don't want to miss the message, which is a good reason, um, I encourage you to prayerfully consider going ahead and signing up if the Lord leads you in that way. And then ask God to help you as you prepare, as you meet with the children, and then again as you're at home listening to the message on your own. Thank you. Joy, is it is it true Glenn's teaching as well this year? Where's Glenn at? Glenn, thanks for doing that. So uh, you probably are aware of this if you're part of uh, Anita's emails that she sends out to the church. Um, children's ministry signups have been going on. We'll be starting up our new session of children's ministry here in August. And so if you've been on the fence wondering if you 
should serve in children's ministry. Hopefully, Joy just pushed you over the fence. Uh, and just go ahead and sign up. And there's going to be a training day as well. So you may like figure out, like, what in the world am I supposed to do with this? Anita will teach you, as well as some of the folks that work with her, will teach you how to use our curriculum to help teach this uh, material faithfully. When I was, uh, man, 20-some years ago, somebody wrote me into teaching children's ministry. I didn't have a kid yet. And they asked me to teach seven- and eight-year-olds. And... I reluctantly said yes, um, but I absolutely loved it. I did it for two years, got to teach these kids, seven- and eight-year-olds, and I would feel like in many ways they taught me a lot of things about being parents. And growing up, I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up around little kids at all. And so my experience grew as I was involved in the church, and it was a great experience to be able to teach these lessons, to be with these kids, to get to know the parents of these kids as well. And so if you're interested in any way, wondering if you should teach in children's ministry. You can come talk to me, or you can find Anita Padgett, and she'll help you figure out where the best fit is for you in children's ministry as we really have a wonderful opportunity to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ right here in our church with the young kids here. So uh, next two announcements. Community groups are going to be starting back up in August, and I think we've been sharing the last couple of weeks. We're going to do things a little bit different this fall. Um, we're going to be going through several books um, that really major on two categories. One is marriage. The other one is parenting. And so your community group leaders have um, already decided. They've spoken with you, I think, back in May. And then um, they've decided which one they're going to do. We'll have that list out to you this week on which care group or community group is doing which book or which material. Um, because you may find yourself in a season of life where your community groups may be doing parenting um, but all of your kids are out of the house at this time, or maybe you just want to spend some time focusing on your marriage, and you'd really like to be in a part of a group where they're focusing on that. And so this would be the season, uh, the time for you where we'd say, we're just taking the fall, and I'd say, go ahead and jump into a different community group that's focusing on marriage, if that's what you want to focus on, and you feel like God's leading you and your family to do. So again, we'll have uh, the specifics on what group is doing what coming to you this week. Um, Anita will send it out, and we'll hand all that stuff out next Sunday as well as groups start up in August. Um, lastly, meeting outside. So uh, it's, been, it's been fun, right, meeting outside for the last several weeks. Some of you, yeah, I've really wanted this. But if you were here at 7.30 this morning, it was really humid, really humid, right, Chris? There, was, there wasn't this breeze. The Lord has been kind to us with this breeze, and he's been kind to us to allow us to meet outside, but the gym floors are pretty much done, and so our time outside is coming to an end, and so we're planning on um, getting in there as soon as we can, and what I say that is like we will be in there by the first Sunday in August. We could be in there next Sunday, but I'm just trying to get this out there to you. August for sure maybe next Sunday. And by me, what I mean by next Sunday is there's a number of meetings that we have to have with the King's Academy to make sure that we do what they want us to do with the new floors. And I'm not sure those meetings will be pulled off this week. And so plan on meeting outside next week. But by the beginning of August, that first Sunday for sure, um, we'll be inside and Lord willing sooner than that. So you can pray towards the sooner would be better. Um, all right. If you would open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 
We're going to look at verses 6 through 10 this morning. Let me read these. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying, or thus saying, is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again we thank you for the opportunity to gather together. We thank you for the ways in which you have spoken to us through your word. And we thank you for your spirit that takes these words and pushes them into our hearts and causes them to grow and bear fruit. And I pray, Lord, I pray that this section of scripture would be sown into our hearts and minds. And Lord, you would help us to build godly convictions based upon your word that would lead us and guide us in the life that we live, that we might live godly lives for you and for your glory. And Lord, we can't do this on our own. We desperately need you and your spirit at work in us to enable us to live these godly lives. And so, Lord, would you enable us in this way? Would you bless us? Lord, we need those ears to hear this morning. Lord, may your word not fall on deaf ears and cold, hard hearts, but may you soften all of our hearts this morning, that we might pay attention to what you're saying, receive all that you have for us today, and that we might grow, we might grow in Christ-likeness, we might grow in the roles that you have called us to walk in, that we might honor you in all of these things. And Lord, we ask that your word would also accomplish, Lord, the salvation of those who aren't saved here today, that, Lord, they would hear the gospel and it would break through hard hearts and, Lord, they would be changed forever. And so, Lord, please accomplish your good purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. So a couple questions for you. First one is this. Who's the most godly person you know? Who's that person? Or when you think of godly people... Who comes to your mind? Who are those people that God has placed in your life that when you look out at them and you see maybe the way they're living their life or the way they speak or the way a husband maybe is loving his wife or maybe these parents are treating their kids or maybe this couple is walking out their relationship or maybe it's somebody you work with that you know is a believer and the way that they work, it it sort of inspires you. You look at it and you say, I want to work like them. I want to love my wife like that person. I see Christ in them. Who, who are those people to you? And what is it about them that God has you looking at, that God has you drawn to? What is it that, that makes them godly? Maybe just take a moment to think about, or if you have a 
something to write with or notes that you're taking on your phone, just maybe jot down a few things in answering this question. What, what, what is godly? What comes to your mind when you think of godly? When you're trying to pursue godliness, what, what is it that you're actually trying to pursue? What are those key characteristics that, that would fall under godly? So what is it? What, what comes to your mind? When, when I think about that question, these are some of the things that come to my mind. Biblical. A godly person is biblical. They read their Bibles. They know their Bibles. They live a Bible life. They think about the world in relation to what, relationship to what God has to say about it. And so they're rooted and grounded in the Bible. They're biblical people. I think godly people pray. It's one of the things that popped into my mind. They're, they're committed to communing with the Lord. They're committed to talking with God through prayer. They're committed to confessing their sins. That's another thing that comes to my mind. When I think about godly people, I think about people who are committed to repentance and faith. People who know that they're not perfect. People who seek and strive to honor the Lord in all that they say and do. But when they fail, when they, so to speak, miss the mark, they acknowledge it. They confess it. They say it out loud. They ask the Lord for forgiveness and they seek to turn away from their sins and back to the Lord. I think servants, when I think of godly people, I think of people who are servants, people who are consistently thinking about others, people who are faithfully looking to pick up a cross, deny themselves, and follow Jesus. And so they typically see a need, and they stop what they're doing to meet that need of someone else that they might serve that person. I think godly people are evangelistic. They're committed to the mission. They're committed to going and making disciples of all people, trusting in Jesus Christ as they proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to unbelievers all around them, that God will save them. I think godly people are happy people. I think they're joyful people. They look to find joy in all circumstances. When they meet various trials of suffering and hardship, they fight for joy. They remind themselves that, that this world is not all that there is, that they're not living for just today, that they have a hope that transcends today, that's beyond this world, and they have a great Savior in Jesus Christ who is reigning and ruling over all things. So when they meet various trials... Those trials don't steal their joy, but instead they fight for joy by looking beyond the trials to their Savior who's reigning and ruling on his throne. When I think of godly people, I think of people who are loving. We've been in 1 John for a number of months, and John has been calling us as believers to love God and love one another. And so godly people love one another. They care deeply about brothers and sisters. I think godly people, another thing that popped in my mind is just they're selfless. They're selfless. They're, they're not primarily consumed with self. Instead, they're consumed by 
looking out at the people around them, looking for opportunities to serve, looking for opportunities to be generous, looking for opportunities to love, looking for opportunities to consider the interests of others better than their own. I also think godly people speak in a certain way. In Ephesians 4.29, it just says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good, only such that fits the occasion, only such that, that gives grace to those who hear. And so when we think about godliness, I think about the way in which we speak. What comes out of our mouths will either honor God or it won't. It'll either build up the people around us or it will tear them down. And so godly people speak words that fit the occasion, that build up, that encourage, that doesn't break people down. When I think of godly people, I also think of the word humble. I think godly people are humble people. Again, you could put all those things I just shared under humble, they're selfless, they're loving, they consider the interests of others, they look to encourage, they're not looking to make a name for themselves, they think of God in the right way, therefore thinking of themselves in the right way, meaning you're not God. Godly people recognize they're not God, that there's one true God and we're not him. So godly people to me are humble people. So these were just a few of the things that popped in my mind as I thought about it. And as Paul was writing this letter to Timothy, he had something to say to Timothy about godliness. He had a lot to say to Timothy about godliness. In 1 Timothy 3.16, he wrote the following. He said, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Okay, so Paul, what's the mystery of godliness. When we think about godliness, what should come to our minds? Well, he's about to tell us. He tells us this. He was manifested in the flesh. Now, who do you think he is? Jesus. So when, when Paul is sort of revealing to us this great mystery of godliness, he's going to be talking about Jesus here in this one sentence. And here's what it is. He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So when we think about godliness, when we think about it, we're making our list of this is what a godly person looks like, and this is who a godly person is. What Paul wants us to think about is Jesus. Paul tells us that Jesus is the essence of all godliness. Jesus is himself godly because he is God. He lived a godly life. And after he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he gave his church godliness through the power of his spirit that he poured out into our lives. So godliness is not just these external works that we are called to pursue. Godliness is Jesus at work in us. It's his power. And it's his life in ours, which overflows to a life lived for him and for his glory. It's a life lived in obedience to God. And this is the way godliness works. It always starts with Jesus. 
And it's always deeply rooted in Jesus. And then it overflows to our obedience to Jesus. It's never the other way around. It's not godly. It's not godly to skip over Jesus and and to just focus on our obedience. So it's not godly to be humble in whatever way we think humility looks like without first understanding who God is and being rooted in the gospel. It's, It's not godly to just focus on serving without ever thinking about and worshiping Jesus. It's just being good. It's just sort of doing the right thing without being godly because it's not godly if we take God out of it. You can be a good citizen, but you can't be godly. To be godly, you have to be focused on God. So simply put, godliness is a God-centered life. It's a God-centered life. Kent Hughes wrote the following in his book on this subject. He said, the godly among us are those people whose reverent worship of God flows into obedience throughout the week. And so so there's the key there. He says, it's the reverent worship of God. It's the looking to God. It's the fearing God. It's the having a God-centered life that then overflows into obedience throughout the week. Only God-struck doers of the word can rightly be termed godly. This is why Paul just spent, if you were to read before this, the first five verses of this chapter 4, rebuking a man-made religion or legalism. And if you were to study any of Paul's letters that he has written here in the New Testament, you'll see him consistently going after man-made religion. You'll see him going after legalism because it's easy And I would say it's probably one of our defaults to skip over God and just go into the doing part, to just want to be very practical, to have good behavior, but forget that all of this ultimately comes from a deep-rooted passion in the worship of God and the fear of God and a life changed by God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul goes after this. He's been going after this in this letter to Timothy. So it's not godly to pursue the things of God without trusting in God. This doesn't mean that we don't pursue godliness or encourage obedience to Christ. It just means we need to know how we should be pursuing godliness by faith in a way that keeps God at the center of our lives, at the center of our pursuit of seeking to do the things that he's called us to do. So what we're going to learn in this text is this truth. Since godliness is of value in every way, we must train ourselves for godliness. Since godliness is of value in every way, we must train ourselves in godliness. Now to help us pursue godliness by keeping God in our godliness, we're going to look at two aspects of our pursuit of godliness. We're going to look at our spiritual diet And then our spiritual exercise. So point one is this, a good spiritual diet for godliness. Paul was instructing Timothy and encouraging Timothy in his role of leading and caring for the church in Ephesus when he wrote the following words. 1 Timothy 4, 6. He said, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus 
being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. These things that Timothy was to put before the church were warnings about false teachers and false teachings. There's another part of these things, but this is sort of the negative side of these things that he's to put forth before the church. He was to warn them about false teaching. He was to help the church be able to see and understand false teachers and their silly myths that they were putting out for the church to follow. And specifically, if you just look a few verses before this section, you'll see that uh, there were false teachers there present trying to sort of teach this legalistic type of religion where they were forbidding marriage. They were insisting on abstinence from certain food for the sake of spiritual growth. They were saying, okay, if you want to be a Christian and you want to really be a godly person, then, then you, you shouldn't get married. And you should only eat these things and you should never eat this stuff because when you do that, you will be a godly person because godly people look like single people. Godly people only eat these things. And I'm sure they had a number of other things that they were insisting on. But those were the, some of those things that Paul was calling Timothy to warn against. They're just these silly myths, these false teachings that kind of work their way into the church that sort of end up leading people away from trusting in God, picking up a cross and following Jesus. These things also included all the good teaching and instruction about God, Jesus Christ and godliness that Paul had written to Timothy about and that Timothy had been taught and believed in. He was to put those good things before the church. He was to teach the church the truth. He was to lay a good gospel foundation for the people in the church. He was to instruct the church about who God is and what God has called them to do. And so in 1 Timothy 1.15, he wrote the following. He said, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Okay, so he's saying this is a trustworthy statement and it's deserving of full acceptance. And so it's pretty, pretty bold, right? So in here, he's saying, okay, trust this truth that I'm about to read to you and fully accept it. Not part of it, not just a little bit of it, but, but this truth that I'm about to read to you is, is deserving of full acceptance, full surrender, giving our lives to it. And this is what he's calling Timothy to teach to the church. And he says this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. 1 Timothy 2.1, he wrote the following. He said, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. This is just a side note here, but, but he's teaching them, the church, something. And I've been trying to focus on this uh, for the last couple of years, but I, there's just something about this that I feel like we as a church need and we as God's people need to hear often that, that he's called us to live a peaceful and quiet life. A peaceful and quiet life. What, what does that mean? And, and, and would you say you're living a peaceful and quiet life? Now, this message is not about that, so I'm going to move on. I'm going to leave you with that question. 
But be thinking about that. Be praying about this. What God's called us to do and live. And he goes on and says, Godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God. One God. How many gods are there? One God, and there is one mediator between God and men. How many mediators are there between us and God? One, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. And so this is part of that foundation that Timothy is called to lay down for the church in Ephesus. This is part of that foundation that we as believers are to believe, to give ourselves fully to believing in that there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the men, man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. This is what our church is built on. This is what our faith is built upon. These solid gospel truths. This is a truth that makes us who we are. This is a truth that is the reason for why we're here today. We're not here for any other reason than the fact that there is one God who sent his only son Jesus to die on a cross for us so that we might have a mediator between us and God, that we might be forgiven and declared righteous and be able to commune with God being loved by God, being fully accepted by God because of who Jesus is and what he has done as he has a ransom for us all. So Timothy would be a good servant of Christ Jesus if he would faithfully care for the church by intentionally feeding the church all of this good spiritual truth. And Timothy, he he knew this truth well. Paul reminded Timothy that he had been trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that he had followed. It was this truth that Timothy was to put before the church. It's this truth that the church is to feed on in its pursuit of godliness. We don't skip God when we're trying to be godly. There is no godliness apart from God. If we're going to pursue godliness together as a church or even individually, then our spiritual diet must be built upon God and his word. See, God's word is where we meet him. God's word is where we get to encounter him. God's word feeds us. It, it enlivens our souls. It guides and leads us in the truth about who God is And what he's called us to. It teaches us about Jesus Christ. And so when we think about a godly diet. It looks like men and women feeding upon God's word. Turn with me to Psalm 1 real quick. Here's what. God's word says, it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And and watch the effect of this. 
He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they're like chaff that the wind drives away. And so a man who meditates on God's word, a man who has a life in God's word, a man whose spiritual diet is, is feasting upon God's word, the psalm, psalmist teaches us he, he's fruitful. He's fruitful. In, in all that he does, he prospers. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be rich. But I think what it means is you're going to be godly. It, it means you're going to live a life that God has called you to live. And, and you might actually suffer for it. But the psalmist is telling us the truth. Our spiritual diet should be feasting upon God's word. If you're going to pursue godliness in a way that honors God, then we must be people who have a life in God's word. Paul also warns us to avoid sort of spiritual junk food. Paul instructed Timothy to have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. We don't know exactly what these silly myths were, kind of that marriage stuff and staying away from this food and living your life this way. We don't know exactly what they were, but, but they were false teachers teaching these things, leading people away from God, looking to sort of muddy the waters when it comes to the gospel and what it means to trust in Christ alone for our salvation and, and muddy the waters and what it looks like to live by grace as we pick up a cross and follow Christ. Ken Hughes again writes the following. He says, the primitive history of the Old Testament was overlaid with ridiculous legends. Its genealogies were given absurd symbolism. And then it was sugar-coated with demon-inspired asceticism that promised spiritual support superiority through sexual and dietary abstinences. And he calls it junk teaching. And he just says this, reject it. Reject it. Anything that is not deeply rooted in the gospel, anything that is not faithfully true to God and what he has to say in his word, he says, reject it. And so we as God's people, if we're going to be godly people, we need to have a life in God's word that guides us and leads us. And anything that doesn't line up with God's word, he says, reject it. Reject it. Run away from it. Don't ingest it. Don't think about it. Don't entertain it. Don't pass it on. Because that kind of stuff, it doesn't lead people to trust in God more fully or rightly, and it doesn't inspire people to believe in Jesus rightly and pick up a cross and follow him faithfully. See, when we take Jesus out of it and we take God out of it, it's not godly. It's not God-honoring. Now, here's where I think we need to be careful, and I'm going to use my life as an illustration. And so I like to read. I like to read a lot. I like to I have friends who read a ton of different things, and over the years I've picked up different genres that I never thought I'd be reading because they tell me to read it, and I kind of like it, and so I read it. But, but the way my mind works is when I like something, or when I feel like something just sort of like feels right, I just pursue it. And that's all my mind thinks about for a period of time. And so there was a season where I really gave myself to a lot of leadership books, a lot of spiritual leadership books, secular and Christian books. And 
I would just read them. And I spent, I don't know, a couple of years just doing this stuff, trying to think through vision and think through strategy and think through clarity and think through this is what a good leader does, this is what a bad leader does, and you get the point. Point is, after the season of reading all of these things, primarily spending most of my time in these things, not, not neglecting God's word, but I would say being more influenced by them, it started to affect my soul. It started to affect the way I thought about a lot of things in life. It was all leadership stuff. But then I sat down with a friend one day, and we were talking about the things we were reading, and I was sharing my life with him, and I was sharing where my heart was at. And, and he just sort of subtly corrected me and encouraged me, and he just said, books are like friends. And you could insert, social media is like friends. Problem is, you can't really talk to them. You can't persuade a book. Because it's already been written. And when you're on social media and you're listening to podcasts, it works the same way. They're just talking to you. And they have a way of influencing us. And so my friend sort of corrected me. He said, be careful what you're reading. And be careful how much you're reading. Pay attention to your soul and your heart and where it's leading you. And I would say where it was leading me at the time was it was leading me... of subtly away from trusting in the Lord and trusting more in sort of these man-made ideas, which are good in some ways, of how to lead a church, how to lead a family. And so I was, I was pursuing these things by sort of putting God, like tagging him, okay, he's there because I'm reading my Bible a little bit in the morning in comparison to these other things. But the primary influence was this is how you lead. This is how you say things. This is how you evaluate stuff. And it was more man-made. You understand? You kind of get the point? And so these things began to influence me in those ways. And I began to accept these things, which Paul might say, kind of silly myths. Kind of silly myths. True in some ways, but, but do they feed your soul? Do they, do they encourage you to fear God more and pursue the things of God in a right way? So I'm not saying don't read these things or don't listen to those things. But I do think we need to be careful. And we need to evaluate these things. You need to think critically about the stuff that you're listening to and even the people who are saying them. And it's not just for ungodly people who have great podcasts or good books that you like to read or anything like that. Because there's also pastors. There are people in churches that fall under the, 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 the banner of, church who teach false doctrine or teach it in such a way that that the gospel's kind of there but it's not rooted and grounded in the gospel and if you're not careful in the way you listen to it and the gospel is not primary central in your life you might not even notice the gospel but instead you just pick up on the things they're saying that sort of fit the way you already think and it leads you to live a life that that appears to be godly but there's no god in it because you skip that part. Or you just adopt somebody else's convictions, not really realizing the fact that they've spent hours of just solitude, studying God's word to come up with this pithy statement or this practical application. And so you just adopt that practical application without actually praying through and thinking about God, who's the one who has 
spoken truth to us in his word. And so it's very easy to do. And I say we all would probably fall under that at some point in our lives where you just adopt a practice or you just adopt a certain parenting style. You just adopt a certain way in which you love your wife. You just adopt certain, certain things in the way in which you live your life because you see somebody else doing it. Or maybe you hear a pastor say, okay, this is how you should apply this message. And you just go and apply it, but you don't really have that conviction. You don't really trust God for it. Therefore, you're pursuing godliness without God, which would make it what? Ungodliness. Ungodliness. And so we need to keep God in our godliness. And so our spiritual diet should be God and his word. This leads us to our second and final point. Exercise for godliness. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, Rather train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. And so Paul says something here that's, that's really important for us. Again, he makes this statement. This saying is trustworthy. You can, you can bet your life on this statement. And he says it's deserving of full acceptance. That, that means we surrender our life to it. We, we believe in it. We build our life on this truth. Well, what is that truth? It says bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So how many of you have ever trained for anything in your life? Could be work, okay, computer things, all that kind of good stuff. Anybody ever trained for maybe a marathon or a 5K? Anybody here ever trained to maybe summit Mount Rainier? A couple of us have, right? Okay, so and the point is this. If you're going to do anything that's beyond your limits, what do you need to do for it? You train for it. So if, if you want to get in shape and maybe you want to get off the couch and you want to get on that 5K, there's a little app you can get and it'll, it'll show you what to do. And, and what, it, what you have to do is you actually have to get off the couch. Does that make sense? You can't train for a 5K by staying on the couch. You get off the couch, maybe you walk, and then you start to run, and you run a little bit farther, and you walk, run, walk, run, until you feel comfortable enough to run the 5K. And so he's saying that training, that physical training, it has value. There's value to keeping your body in shape, to taking care of this body that the Lord has given to you so that you're healthy and that you can do the things God has called you to do. And so we all would recognize, okay, there's value in living a healthy life, right? If you don't believe me, get on social media, and there's millions of people who will just tell you how important it is to live a healthy life. But Paul is saying, okay, that has value, but there's even more value to training ourselves in godliness. How many of you have thought through that? What's your plan to pursue godliness? When I even say that, what comes to mind? So think about it like this. If you're lifting weights, and my boys are really into that right now, and so they'll come home and we'll just say, okay, what would you work out? And what, what do most guys like to work out? Chest and arms. Yeah, hit chest and arms today. Okay. 
So you do that on a certain day, or maybe you hit legs on a certain day. And so there, there is this metaphor here that's meant to help us as we think through the exercise of training ourselves in godliness, which has value today and in the future. And it's a trustworthy saying that's deserving of full acceptance. And so how I want to end today is, is just to ask you to think about this. Where is God calling you to train in godliness? I don't think it's one of those things that we just say, I'm going to go train in godliness today. So I'm going to go show up to the, the godly gym. And what did you work out today? I, I worked out godliness. Well, what is that? I don't know if you're like, if you're anything like me, I, I just kind of try to pick one thing because I can't focus on all things. I'm pretty simple. I sit down to do something. I can't be distracted. I got to do one thing at a time. And so I think, and I want to challenge us in this, is I think big picture godly. And think about the life you're living right now. Where does God sort of have his finger on your life? What, what's the thing that he's pointing out right now that he would maybe say to you, I, go train that. And so I started today, I was talking about Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, only such as is good for building up that fits the occasion, that gives grace. And for the last two years, I've kind of been speaking to us as a church about encouraging, building a culture of encouragement. So if we just take that for a moment and we think about, okay, how do we train ourselves in this area? We, we, we think about it. We read God's word. What does God have to say about encouragement? What does he have to say about our words? Because godly people speak in a certain way. They give grace. They build up. So when you live life and you think about, okay, I'm going to train in godliness. I'm going to train the words that come out of my mouth. It takes practice. Thinking about it. It, it takes some intentionality. Okay, I'm showing up to church today and there's going to be people that I'm going to encounter. How can I, Lord, speak a word that fits the occasion? How can I build somebody up today? How can I encourage somebody today? Or maybe you want to grow as a husband and being godly. And so, so you, you know he's called you to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You know he's called you to love her as you love your own body. Great. What does that look like? How does that show up when you walk in the door as you get home from work? It's got to look like something. Godliness looks like something. And I could tell you a thousand different things right now, but I think in some ways you have to work that out. You have to pray and, and think about and talk to your wife and ask, okay, what does it really look like for me to love you as Christ loved the church when I walk in the door after I got done working? Or kids, God calls you to obey your parents in the Lord. Now, this takes a lot of training for you to do this, but, but what does that really look like? Godly kids obey their parents. So what does it look like to train yourself in godliness in that specific area? What is it that God has his finger on for you today? And what Paul would say is train. Keep God at the center of your life as you pursue godliness. But pursue it. Train yourself in it. Work at it. When you fail, repent and try it again. Take time to commune with the Lord and just ask him, Lord, what, what should I focus on right now? Maybe it's reading his word. Maybe it's prayer. But whatever it is, the call here is 
to train ourselves in it because it has value today and in our future. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We ask that you'd pour out your spirit upon us, that you would enable us to live godly lives, that we would honor and glorify you in all things, and that, Lord, you would bless the remainder of our day today, that you would give us opportunities to train ourselves in godliness, that we would encourage one another, build one another up as we seek to really work hard at glorifying you and living the lives that you've called us to by faith alone in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. May the Lord bless you. May you have a great Sunday.